0: Lord God thank you so much for the testimony that we've heard in word and in song and Lord we pray that the word that you're about to speak for you're going to hide me behind your cross is a word that someone here today or several someones here today needs to hear so Lord Let us forget any kind of outside influence right now, any kind of worry, and let us focus on you and on your word. Open our hearts that we can receive and our ears so that we can hear the word that you have for us. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen. Well, I'm told we're in a new sermon series. You know, I've been on vacation for a couple of weeks. And I'm told that the sermon series uh, planned by our young preachers is unmentionables. And I'm also told that today we're going to address the subject of guilt that oftentimes has its companion, shame. And we're going to deal with that and the unmentionables that guilt and shame bring to our hearts that we may not want to share. They're unmentionable. So today we're going to be looking at um, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, which is his great work. We're going to be looking at the third chapter, the 21st through the 31st verses. We're going to remember that the church today is largely dependent upon the work of Paul, and particularly the letters of Paul, for it makes up a third of the New Testament, and the underpinning of all Christian theology comes from Paul in his great work the book of Romans. So turn with me now to uh, the third chapter it's going to come up on the screens and let's stand for the reading of God's Word. But now apart from the law the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God puts forward as a sacrifice of atonement by His blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over, passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By what work? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that if a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law, or is God the God of Jews only? Is God not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one and he will justify the circumcised on the grounds of faith, And the uncircumcised through that same faith. So it sounds like faith justifies us, right? Do we then overthrow the law of this faith? By no means. On the contrary. We uphold the law. This is the word of God for the people of God. When you say thanks be to God, you can sit down. You know, Paul is talking about a common denominator. When in the 22nd verse, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Is there anyone in the room who hasn't sinned? Well, it sounds like that he's speaking to us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is the common denominator that Paul, the Pharisee, the lawyer, the one who spent most of his life keeping the law, wants us to hear that even he falls short of the glory of God. You know, I want us to understand this a little bit. Paul understood better than we do. Because Paul was a Pharisee who kept the law. People looked to him to keep the law. And he knew that he couldn't keep the law and that the law always pointed to our shortcomings, our failures, our sin. Not that that's unimportant, it's very important. The law is very important. Paul said we're not replacing the law. The law that reveals us in our sinfulness and in our shortcomings and our ungodliness is important. And it's a common denominator. The the law will always find us guilty. It will always convict. And so each of us here know the reality of falling short of the glory of God and being a sinner. You know, I read a story a few days ago about a, a Spanish monk named Carlos Villa who was also one who spent most of his ministry in India. And he wrote about riding through the Indian countryside on his bicycle and how he came to a place where he just kind of stopped so he could get a little rest. And and when he stopped, he said, I could just feel it. He said, everything was eerily silent. I I could sense that there was something going on. I didn't hear any birds singing, I, I didn't hear any or experience any movement. And then all of a sudden, I saw it it was a cobra. And he said the cobra was weaving back and forth as we picture a cobra, maybe like this. And on a lower limb of a branch that the cobra was staring at sat a little bird. And the bird sat there in the, the cobra's trance and and, and it was as if the bird was hypnotized, said Carlos. And so he, he began to wonder, what can I do to save this bird? This bird's about to be killed by this snake. So he said, I, I, I got off my bike and I ran toward the snake, re- yelling and screaming and shaking my arms and, and doing everything I could do. And he said, it worked. He said, the snake turned to me. <laughs> and I ran back toward my bike. But he said... The little bird no longer in the hypnotic stare of the snake spread its wings and flew away and you know in reading that story it reminds me of this common denominator that paul's talking about the the denominator of sin that leads us to guilt and shame oftentimes can hold a person so spiritually captive can have us so in the grip of the snake. So frozen by the snake's stare. That we can't experience the life that Christ came to bring. That Paul wanted so desperately for people to know. Jesus said in John ten ten, I have come that you may have life and have life abundantly. But not in the stare of the snake. Not when we are affixed to that which is our our failure and shortcoming. You know, there are some of us here today who who know the snake stare related to addiction. Either of substance or some sort of behavior. You know, what I love about... um, AA or recovery ministry is the people who are in recovery know shame and guilt. And know that they can't get out of that by themselves. They know the stare of the snake. And they know that they need help. Thanks be to any of you in this room who are dealing actively right now with your recovery. May God bless you. And there are those of us here. Because I talk to people often who have done something in the past that they count as so egregious that they can't get out of the grasp of that past. It's like the stare of the snake that won't let them be free from their past and certainly won't let them experience the abundant life that Christ came to bring. You know, I've talked to people that that beat themselves up so much and have such an unhealthy self-esteem that they they can't see themselves as a child of God. They see themselves as dirty or unclean or or, 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 or certainly um, not one worthy of the love of God or calling God Papa. And, And that's that's troubling how many of us in the last few days have asked ourselves the question how could this famous successful person possibly take their lives you know it just seems like in the last few weeks we've just seen one 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 after the other of course we know people we have people we've loved who have been so in the So captivated by the stare of the snake that they couldn't see an answer out of that. We know that. So the question is, what do we do about that? What do we do related to our own human condition that's not a complimentary one, that scripture tells us quite clearly that our sin and evil that we experience in life comes from outside influences uh, to us and finds us in the stare of that snake. And sometimes that, that sin and wrongdoing comes from within us. It's as if well, the choices that we make and the things that we choose are far from God and God's way. And we know that reality. And we ask ourselves the question, who has the power to take the stare of the snake? Paul has the answer. It's not the common denominator. It's the greatest common denominator that he points us to. Paul in the book of Romans and particularly in this third chapter of Romans is pointing us to a biblical answer. He said the fixation has to be on our Lord Jesus who has made a sacrifice for you and for me whose love is a redeeming love from the Savior of the world. Paul said what happened on the cross unleashed a power that has the ability to radically change lives. And he used that language even of the Passover. Did you get it? He, he, he talked as if, you know, this angel of death that passed over the Hebrew children in the Exodus because they put the lamb's blood above the doorpost and the angel of death just passed over their, their sins. Did you hear it? They are now justified, he said, by this grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God puts forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He has passed over, passed over the sins previously committed, and he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. And the evidence of that justification has happened in a person's life when they go through this remarkable change and this new spiritual orientation and no longer are they affixed to their past or that which has gotten them frozen and that which condemns them, but they're, they're focused on a Christ who has saved them and a cross that is lifted up at Christian services over and over again that this is our fixation. For God said, you are my child and there's nothing you can do that I won't forgive you for. My forgiveness is offered. My grace is offered, as we Methodists say, to all. Not just to a chosen few, but but God's sacrifice on the cross offers grace to all. I love that. I want to say a word about Paul and then I'm going to close. Who knew this better than Paul? Think about it a a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, one who knew the law like the back of his hand, a young Pharisee who was probably an up and coming Pharisee, who found himself persecuting the church because there were those in the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues, who were being converted, and Paul wanted to rid the synagogues of any kind of Christian influence, so he was persecuting the church. And we know and we read in Acts that Paul, who was once named Saul, how how he was there when Stephen, the young Stephen, who was so scripturally astute and so passionate about the Lord who had saved him that, that he went through a kangaroo court that Paul participated in. The scripture says Paul held the cloaks of those who threw the stones, who stoned young Stephen to death. And the scripture talks about Stephen's radiance, his life is going from him, how he does not denounce Christ because his fixation was so on what had saved him that no stone could really kill him. And Paul, no doubt, was thinking about that for days couldn't get that picture of Stephen out of his mind. How could somebody be so affixed to a man named Jesus that they'd be stoned to death? And on the Damascus road, a light came down from heaven. Paul was blinded. He fell off of his ride. He heard a voice from heaven say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you so affixed on killing people and persecuting people who confess me? So Saul's taken to the house of Ananias and through the ministry of those who witnessed to him, this Pharisee, this persecutor of the church, became converted to be the great evangelist of the church. To be one who experienced grace that saved him and did what the law couldn't do for him. And he not only took that message to those Jews in the synagogues, but to the larger world of Gentiles who he saw just as hungry for this word and just as affixed on the snake, if not more so. Not free. Not experiencing abundant life. You know, we got a lot of people coming to church next week, or this week, tomorrow, for the Uniting Methodist Conference. People from all over the country, all over the world, will be tuning in to the Uniting Methodist Conference. And I want you to be praying that God will continue to change the hearts of we United Methodists to see the importance of unity in the way that we reach out to the world. We don't all have to believe alike. That's not the goal. But we have to understand that the main thing is transforming the world for Jesus Christ through making disciples of Him. It caused me to think back to 2004 when I was a general conference delegate to one of the most contentious general conferences we've ever had. And I remember, you know, for two weeks you're in this... General Conference, and for the first week, you're talking about the law that you're going to bring forth to the floor, and then the next week you're voting and you're debating and you're fighting and you're bickering and there are protesters outside. and uh, yeah, yeah. I was in a hurry. I'm always in a hurry. I was at the Weston Hotel, I can remember it so clearly. And I was on my way to the convention center just down the way, and, and, and there was a little booth beside the front door of the Weston Galleria, and there, there was a, a man shining shoes. And I knew I'd see my mentor, Bill Henson. Bill Henson, he always looked at you in the eye first and then to your shoes. He, I don't know what it was with him in shining shoes, but he, would, he, would, he was... Um, He was a shoe shine guy. And I noticed that the man shining shoes was shining the shoes of one of my friends. And so uh, I went over and said hi to my friend. And and I said, hey, uh, could I be next? If I go over here and get a a cup of coffee, could could I be next to sit in your chair and get my shoes shined? He said, sure, you can be next. That is, if somebody doesn't come up before you get back. (laughs) And I thought, this guy's a character. I don't need a cup of coffee. I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to get in his chair and he's going to shine my shoes. And I got in his chair. He pulled out his brushes and he started shining my shoes. He said, you with the Methodist? I said, yeah. How's it going across the street? I said, terrible. I said, all we're doing is fighting and feuding. I said, you've probably seen the protesters outside. Well, it ain't any better on the inside. Seems like we've lost our focus on the main thing. He stopped. He looked at me. He said, you know what the main thing is, don't you? And before I could answer, he said, the main thing is Jesus. You know, Jesus is the main thing. And all of a sudden, when when he looked up, I saw that he had a scar that was six or eight inches long. I knew there was a story in that scar. And that scar, it either spoke to him of the pain of the past or the healing of the past. You know, that's what a scar is. You can look at a scar, and it can remind you of the pain, or it can remind you of the healing. And I, I wondered, how many people have asked this shoeshine man, about his scar I'm not gonna do it he continued to shine my shoes he looked back down he said I used to be an angry man I hated everybody I especially hated white folk and then I met Jesus you know what Jesus taught me, he said? He taught me that I had to love me. He taught me that I couldn't love him or I couldn't love anybody else unless I loved me. He told me I was worth something. In the past, it didn't matter. He told me he loved me. And it changed me. And then he picked up the buff and cloth. You know, if you've had your shoes shined, this is the apex of the experience. And he was shining. And he said, now I love me. And I love you and I don't even know you. And the God who's taught me to love you is the God who saved my life. And I wake up every day and I thank God for a new day to be loved by Him. To love me and to love the you's. Who come into my life. Done sir. I thought he was going to say five bucks. That big burly man put his arm on my shoulder. And he said. I want to pray for you. He said God. God. Bless my new friend. And let him go over there across the street to the Methodists. And, and, and help him to tell them that it's about the main thing. It's about Jesus. And God, lift him up. Give him the joy that I know you want him to have. Amen. He didn't have to say $5. I'd already paid him and I tipped him $5. (laughs) And I should have tipped him $500. And I got out of his chair. But I was a different man than the one that got in his chair. Friends, sometimes we just have to be reminded that we can get a fix to the wrong thing. And the main thing is Jesus. I went across the street, I was going to the convention center, I was light as a feather and I found myself singing the Methodist National Anthem. D.D., you know it. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing My great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King. The triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God assist me to proclaim. To spread through all the earth abroad. The honors of Thy name. Oh, look, it's up there. (laughs) He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. I know the band's coming up. Y'all come on. I want us to bow our heads. I said in the beginning, the Holy Spirit might have a word for someone today. Or more than one. There may be some of you who came into this room still captivated by the stare of the snake about your failures, your past. your. Esteem that has you looking at yourself as less than a child of God. Our Savior wants you to change the way you're gazing and to look upon His cross and His open arms. And the sacrifice of his life that he gladly gave for you. I remember what that shoeshine man said. You know, God told me that if Jesus loved me enough to be sacrificed for me, the least I could do is to love me. Lord God, you know who you're speaking to right now. And Lord, I pray that your saving grace, your forgiving grace, your new life grace will, will change a heart today. Lord, I pray if there's someone out there today that needs to just make a... Make a statement that I'm the one that you'll lead them to raise their hand as we're all bowing our heads. It's nobody's business but yours and God's. I'm the one. I'm the one. I pray for you who've raised your hands. That you will experience this grace as life-changing right now. That you'll go from this place with oh, for a thousand! I wish I had a thousand tongues to sing your praise, O oh God, for what you've done for me. Break the power of canceled sin and set me a prisoner free. Let me focus my attention on your cross your blood, your sacrifice for me. Amen.